But I want to turn to, uh, and, and just wave your hand if I drop this down, because I'm not used to holding one of these. But um, I want to have you turn to Philippians chapter 2, and I want to begin reading with verse 2, and then verses 5 through 8 as we begin this morning. In verse 2, it says, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, and being one in spirit and in purpose. Now, if we're going to make that happen, if we're going to be one in spirit and if we're going to be one in purpose, if we're going to move together as a church of Christ in a world like ours, and the, the church is going to be united in its efforts to reach the world around it, then, then we've got to see how do we do it and how do we go about it. And we have an example in the person of Christ. But then dropping down to verse 5, we begin to see who our example is and what the example is for us because it says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The story is told about a lion who decided one day to make sure that all the other creatures knew about his mastery over the animal kingdom. And bypassing all of the lesser animals, he decided that he would go out and he would kind of find out what was going on, and he decided to go to the bear first of all. He went straight to the bear, and he said, who is the king of the jungle? And the bear thought about that only a second, and the bear said, why, you are, of course. Oh, he was happy to hear that, and he looked around, and he, he saw a tiger not too far away, and he walked over to the tiger, and he, he asked this question, who is king of the jungle, and the tiger almost bowed to him a bit and said, everyone knows you are, almighty lion. In the distance, he saw an elephant and he began to walk over there. And as he got close to the elephant, he began to ask his question, who is? And then the elephant stepped forward and with his trunk, he picked up his tail and whirled him in the air five times and he knocked him against a tree. He picked him up again over there and he pounded him on the ground five times and then he took him over to a lake that was nearby and he kept dunking him in the water and dunking him in the water and then he just flung him up on the shore. The tiger was trying to get up, struggling to his feet and with only one eye open. He looked at him and said, just because you didn't know the answer to my question. You didn't have to get that mean. And it illustrates a little bit of a story that might help us get into what we're dealing with as you and I go out into our jungle every day and face a world and a culture around us that is quite different than our culture. God, through his word, wants to teach us over and over and over again God wants to teach us to see ourselves in a way that makes us companions rather than competitors as we go out into this jungle we face every day and work with and share with and be with those who are all around us 
And he wants us also to be companions rather than competitors with those who are part of the body of Jesus Christ. But this kind of identity lies down a trail that many of us lions rarely travel, and it's the, the path of surrender. I don't know if you've ever studied this theme in scripture, but if you were to study it, you would be amazed at the hundreds of verses that keep referring to the need for us to surrender. Maybe you've noticed how often this occurs in the Bible, and I can't begin to give you all of the verses, but there's one like Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1 where it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's James chapter 4 and verses 6 and 7 where it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, unto God. When you go into the book of Philippians, you have a lot of examples there, but let me call your attention to just one. In chapter 2 and verse 3, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility... Consider others better than yourselves, and each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. These verses and many, many others call us to a lifestyle of submission. Because you see, when you and I accepted Jesus Christ, and we accepted God's forgiveness by grace, we understood that Jesus Christ would be our Savior, and we liked that. We wanted to be forgiven. We wanted to be forgiven of all past sin. We wanted to be forgiven of the present sin going on in our life at that time. And we wanted the assurance that we'd be forgiven of everything that's going to come down the pike. But we also understood that Jesus would not only be our savior from sin, but that we would be entering into the kingdom of God. And that meant if we were entering into the kingdom of God, that Jesus Christ would not only be our Savior, but he'd be our Lord and he'd be our King. And that changes everything for us. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, it puts it this way. He, referring to God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he's brought us into the kingdom of his Son, the Son he loves. Now, knowing that we have been relocated by God's amazing grace from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God, we also knew and we discovered at that point that Jesus was now to reign in our hearts and in our minds. And we are going to be, from that point on, his grateful subjects. That means his will is going to be our will. That means his ways will become the pattern for all of our life and all of our behavior. And when we're forced to make a choice in life, our allegiance in that choice is always going to be to him. Practically, this is how it works out. If you, if you say, as you're trying to put together a decision in your life, if you sense what is right and wrong doesn't square with what God says, God says you are to submit. God says if your ego collides with someone else's in conflict, submit yours. God says if your resources can meet another person's need, you are to submit yours. And Jesus sets the pace in the scripture before us today because we see that is exactly what he was all about. Let me read it again. He was in the very nature God. 
and did not consider that equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing. Think about that. Taking the very nature of a servant, he was made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to the point where he even became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now an outsider who's exploring the possibilities of the Christian faith and exploring the teachings of Jesus Christ is going to have to bump into this idea that it isn't only forgiveness that we get from Christ, but there's a surrender involved. And, and an outsider is going to naturally think that a calling that's so prominent in scriptures is going to be at the forefront of our thinking. But all of us know that it isn't. And the truth is, most of us don't even think about submission or surrender very much. We run away from the idea of surrendering our wills or our pride or our resources. We, and, and we run away from opportunities to be a person of surrender over and over and over again. And you've got to ask the question, why? I think it's either because we are not sensitive to God's call, we haven't wrestled with that call, we haven't thought about it very much, or it might be that it scares us to death. Maybe, for instance, you think that a self-denial call from God can look almost like self-hatred. When I was in seminary, believe it or not, this was back in 1958, Back in seminary, I started in a church on September 1st as a minister of education. One of my assignments was to run a program that ran one afternoon a week for kids in the neighborhood. We opened up our gymnasium and we had the kids come in and we had all ages of kids come in after school and just spend the afternoon with us and we did a variety of things in a gym and then we always had a lesson and we had some teaching that would go on in small groups and that type of thing. And uh, it was interesting how, how in that group, all the time, we had bullies. We make an emphasis of bullies today, and we're trying to solve that problem. But we had it way back then. And as I was working with some of those kids and, and seeing how disturbed they were and how frustrated they were and how hard they were to deal with, I decided I better go into their homes and find out what was cooking and, and, and just try to get a grasp as to why they are what they are. And so I started calling on those homes of those kids who were the bullies, who were the ones that always had to be first in line and so on. And as I got into those homes, one after the other, I saw a father who often abused those kids in one form or another, or I saw other siblings in that home who were constantly putting these kids down. And I realized at home, they were worthless. At home, they were laughed at all the time. At home, they were never loved for who they were. So away from home, if they weren't first in line, if they didn't have the last word, if they, they would feel rejected, they would feel worthless, and they saw themselves as kids who no one ever cared about or loved. That helped us to know how to work with them. But in contrast to that, not too long ago I read a story about little Susie. 
Lucy, little Susie returned home from a track and field day in school one day, and she reported that she had run in three races during the course of the day, but she was excited when she told them about the last race because in the last race, that was, that was the race that had all the fastest runners in it. And some of them were even on the track team. And she won that race as well. Mom was excited too, and she said, well, where's your ribbon? Didn't they give out ribbons? And don't you have a blue ribbon? And she said, yeah, I got a blue ribbon. But she said, Billy, he was crying because he didn't get a ribbon, so I gave him my blue ribbon. And mom was, as you can imagine, very defensive at that point, but, and she protested that decision. And she says, honey, aren't you going to miss that ribbon? Aren't you going to miss having it up on your wall? And little Susie said, no, mom, I know I'm the winner. Do you realize that that is true for you too? When God calls you to surrender or deny yourself, or to give up having the last word at times, he isn't calling you to despise yourself. He wants you to understand you're already loved. He's calling you to actually love yourself and find out what love is all about in a whole new way. You don't have to worry about are you loved because you are loved and in his eyes you already are a winner. And as you are attempting to follow him, you're learning what ultimate love is all about, but you don't have to worry about your position in this life or in this world because you are his forever child and he's going to gradually, as you give yourself away, not put you down so you see yourself as a loser, but you're going to gradually understand that you have a father that loves you deeply and he's showing you how to reach out and use the love that's within your heart as you go through a world like ours. Now, there's some that feel that <clears throat> if they get called to self-denial, they're going to lose their identity. When people begin to serve others, when people begin to deny themselves so others can, can make it in life, or, or when they begin to follow well some other leaders other than themselves, some, of those, some people feel awfully misguided, and a misguided martyrdom creeps in. And they begin to feel in the effort to serve someone else that maybe they're losing a bit of themselves. Now let me make it clear. It is never God's intention that surrendering ourselves to another and in the service of another that we would have our identity erased. He wants to give us a sense of identity but he also wants us to be, see that we are companions in a world that often is very, very competitive. And he wants us to become a part of that jungle that we, we travel in every day. He wants people who come into our presence to see that we're not competing with them, we're not putting them down, we're not ignoring them, we're not frustrating them in any way at all. We're trying to be just normal with them. We're trying to be real with them. We're trying to be loving with them. We're trying to open ourselves up to them to make ourselves available to them. You see, God is always working to teach us to see in, our, in, in ourselves the possibility for reaching out to those around us. 
And as we do that, we're drawing closer to him. And as we draw closer to him, the one who ultimately is king, we are loved unconditionally and begin to know that. Jesus put it this way. He says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Think about it. Jesus is saying as we give ourselves away, we really begin to find out who we really are. Did Jesus lose his identity when he decided to quit preaching on the hillsides and turn his eyes toward Calvary? Did Johnny Erickson lose her identity when she made a decision to give up grieving her paralysis and begin to turn her energies toward encouraging others with disabilities? Did Coach Tony Dungy, when he walked away from the NFL team in Indianapolis so that he could help young adults and he could counsel young men and write helpful books for men who are trying to find their way in life, did he lose his identity? Not at all. No, Jesus and these people discovered that a person never has a clearer, more expansive identity, never a greater self than when he or she serves for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. As we give ourselves away, we find out who we really are. One more thought. <clears throat> some fear if I put someone else before me, my own, I will be indulging in an act of foolish weakness, weakening. And the truth is, submission is rarely considered a virtue. <clears throat> In our day and age, submission is often regarded as a weakness. Scripture tells us what we are to do and how we are to go at it. But someone who in our day normally treats others as better than him or herself, or whoever lifts up the reputation of those around them so they can encourage them and direct them in new ways, that person is not often seen as a winner. More often they're seen as a wimp. But the day is coming when the people on this earth are going to be shocked to find out that the ultimate reality didn't work that way. There's coming a day when the people on this earth are going to watch and they're going to be stunned to watch and see that many of the strong people, supposedly, who could strut around for a season here, they didn't end up being really the kings of the jungle as they thought they were. Because the really strong ones in God's eyes will be that student who, when others made fun of them, they submissively offered kindness in return. In God's eyes, the hero was going to be that simple woman who daily sought to submit her will and her ways to the guidance of Scripture. 
The heroes in God's sight are going to be the man, for instance, who in submission to God forsook his own comfort so that he could meet the needs of a stranger along the way. In God's eyes, that senior adult who doesn't put down young people all the time and and judge them and what they do and what they say, but instead reaches out to them and gets to know them and gets to love them and gets to see their strength, in God's eyes, that one is going to be a winner. The very intelligent person who refuses to use his or her greater knowledge to put another person down is going to be God's child all the way. And a God's child in victory as he gets to meet his Lord. That born leader who, whenever he or she gets into a small group, didn't assume right away they would be the leader, but they would look at that small group and begin to see, who can I mentor, who can I help, who can I get close to, because I want to develop a leader out of this group. That one is going to be pleasing in God's eye. That young adult who didn't write off senior, senior adults and didn't think their ways are old ways but got to know them and got to hear them and got to learn some life lessons from them, that young adult in God's eyes is going to be a cherished child of his. And on that last day, we are all going to understand that the ones who stand tall in the kingdom of God will be those who had the strength to bend their knees in self-denial. And how do we know this is true? We know it's true, and this is why I'm calling all of us to see the importance of surrender to Jesus Christ, because our Father said so over and over and over again. And that's why I'm encouraging you to take another look at the discipline of submission. And I'm encouraging you to do that because Paul thought it was important enough for us to really get this into our minds and into our hearts when he said our attitude should be that of Christ Jesus. Our lifestyle should be that of Christ. Our way of looking at each other should be the way Christ looks at us. Our way of handling the situations we walk into with grace ought to be the kind of grace that comes from our Lord and our Savior and our King. He's the one, even though he was God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. But instead, he actually made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And he was made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Unless you doubt how God views a submissive spirit or the destiny he has prepared for those who have walked the road of submission, you gotta go on to the next couple verses. Because in verse nine, he says, here's what I want you to know about my God, my son, my servant, the one I put in charge of the world. I exalted him to the highest place, and I gave him the name that is above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want you to look up to him. Every eye will, even though he's a servant, even though he emptied himself. Follow him. Listen to him. It works. Try it at home. Try it at work. Try it in that world you walk in during the course of the day. God doesn't want us to compete as much as be a companion to this world, helping them to find their way to Jesus Christ, who is the Savior, but also the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Shall we pray? Our Father and our God, we <clears throat> thank you for the word of God. When we get instruction, sometimes it's not easy to to understand it all the time. It's not easy to see how it works. It's not easy to accept the, the limitations it might put on us at times. But it is, is, it is the, the way of life that does work. It is the way of life that does make an impact on the world around us. It is the way of life that changes things and transforms people. And so we ask that as we look into our own lives and we ask that you might help us not to be so judgmental of others. We ask you to help us be not so uncaring as we go through this world. We ask you to help us not bypass others so quickly. We ask you to be helpful in guiding us not to just wrap ourselves up in a life that, that is all dealing with self rather than others. And we ask you to help us to be what you want us to be and to be submissive in Christ. Help us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.